Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast, brought to you by Advisorpedia. In this series, we interview innovators from across the financial services industry to help you understand who they are, what they do, and why that matters to you and your clients. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Not often enough on this podcast, we invite advisors on to talk about their firms, their backgrounds, why they got into business. And we think this is important because of the reach they have with the end investor. Through their work, they provide valuable guidance to individuals and family that need the help. It's never been a more challenging time again than it is now. So in that spirit, we've invited Andrew Cray, who is the co-chief investment officer at Crescent Grove Advisors. Andrew is based in their Milwaukee office with firms, other offices in Lake Forest and Atlanta. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit about Crescent Grove Advisors, when the firm was founded, who do you serve, those kind of things. Yeah. So uh, it's hard to believe it, but we're eight years into this journey uh, in another month. Uh, So we started in 2015, came out of a a bank environment at the time, and and, uh, we're now 100% employee-owned, fully independent, RIA, about $4 billion uh, in AUM currently. And we work across three different business lines, kind of the way that we're structured. So we've got what we call family office, uh, which is really focused on ultra high net worth individuals and families, uh, let's call it 10 million and up in that space uh, with more sophistication, complexity in terms of the way that we're looking at planning opportunities in addition to the traditional investment management services that we're providing. So that's, that's one of the business lines. The second is what we call portfolio advisory services, which is more, let's call it one to 10 million in orientation. So a little bit less complexity uh, in terms of the, the profile of the client, but we can still do a lot of things and add a lot of value across planning exercises in addition to what we're doing in their portfolio, uh, managing their, their assets and so forth. And then OCIO services, which is really more geared towards institutions, uh, endowments and foundations in, partic- in particular, uh, where we can offer them sort of a, a higher touch service and delivery model around the investment portfolio management, uh, we think relative to some of our peers or some of the, the the larger players in the space, you know, we built this investment platform, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, uh, but we think it's really applicable for that space as well and can offer a differentiated set of solutions. So that that's how we're structured. And, uh, you know, I think overall, you know, just really client oriented and, and service oriented in terms of how we come across each of those, those three business lines and, and approach the, the delivery model. How about sharing a little bit about yourself and your background before we went on record, but we decided we're both from Michigan, which is always a great thing. But how about your background and how you ended up at Crescent Grove? Sure. So I actually date back uh, to uh, 2010 with the same group, uh, sort of in our prior iteration, like I mentioned before, in the the bank structure that we were in, uh, started with kind of a foot in two camps. One was more on the traditional uh, advisory side of uh, what we do, meaning that the client-oriented piece of things, you know, comprehensive financial planning. Um, but I always had this other interest and kind of foot in the camp of uh, the investment research side of things. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of grew up through that process, learning uh, the, all the disciplines that we deal with, while also maintaining this interest in kind of building the platform and doing manager diligence. Um, you know, alternative investments was has always been an area of focus for us, and that was always an interest for me. So I kind of grew up through that process uh, and then ultimately came over to the Crescent Grove 
uh, era, if you will, of, of things uh, where you know, I, I started in this head of investment research role and, and really, you know, I think alongside our investment committee worked on building out our platform in this independent format you know, that we're in now to try to deliver a differentiated kind of uh, type of experience for uh, you know, our, our clients and through their investment portfolios. Uh, so I guess the maybe the, a fun fact, if we, if we rewind and go back to the days in Michigan, mm-hmm. I'll give you real quick, is that uh, I actually, so I went from Michigan, my top criteria on my college search list was somewhere warm. So I ended up going to UCLA, uh, but I was a college dropout for a couple of years. So I played in a band, uh, which is, a, again, fun fact. Not many people uh, would know that in my professional life because it seems like a prior life at this point, but uh, played in a band uh, back in those days. And then uh, went back to school. Ultimately, I think my parents were, were grateful for that. Uh, but that was sort of a circuitous route then to Milwaukee, now where I am now, again, in, in the Crescent Grove format. So that's just a, just a, a fun little fact of background there. Warm is good. A band is good. And a band in L.A. How wonderful. A great experience. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. It was a, yeah, those are some interesting experiences and let's call them formative years. (laughs) Differentiation is everything out there in the advisor space. How is Crescent Grove different than others in the space? Sure. So I think it starts internally. Uh, I'll give you something first and foremost, just the culture for us is that, you know, I think in terms of how we've hired and, and built the practice Generally speaking, it's kind of the, the no jerks rule to not use this colorful of language, but we just want to work with really good people internally, which then I think translates into a client experience of clients want to work with good people. Um, so I think there's one element of just the cultural side of things that we, you know, we just want to be good people to work with. Um, maybe that's not terribly unique, but by the same token, I think it's important to highlight because it does then kind of transcend everything that we do in the way that we think about servicing clients. There's again, like I mentioned before, kind of a real just focus and orientation towards that. Now, other kind of aspects of more the external, the client experience, we limit the number of relationships per advisor. Um, so we want to provide a, a pretty high touch experience from that perspective. And, and we want advisors to have enough time to be proactive as opposed to reactive in the way that they do things. And particularly when we're talking about ultra high net worth clients with so many different moving parts in their financial lives, you have to have that space and that time to be able to, you know, to be analytical, uh, to be, like I said, proactive in the way that you're delivering the service. And I think alongside that is sort of this truly holistic focus in the way that we're connecting dots across everything from investments, tax planning and prep in some cases for our clients, estate planning, comp and benefits, uh, insurance planning, philanthropy, on and on and on, right? We always kind of say that if something touches your financial life, we want to know about it um, because we truly understand the interconnectedness of all these different disciplines uh, in terms of how you have to plan and connect dots across these different uh, parts of a, of your financial life. So I think those are some important differentiators. And then, you know, maybe just briefly on the investment side, I would say our size is a strength in our opinion, where, you know, we're at 4 billion, we're big enough, certainly that we're, we're a scale player. We, we command the attention of investment managers across the investment landscape. We, we can kind of get a meeting with, with anyone, uh, so to speak, but we're not so big that we're trying to allocate a billion dollars at a time or something along those lines. Uh, so we think that gives us you know, the, the advantage of access to a lot of strategies that might be below the radar of some of the bigger players, but again, still punching above our weight in, in some respects where we can you know, get in the door at, at the, the types of managers that 
other firms, smaller firms might just not have the wherewithal or the, the access to, uh, to achieve. So, you know, those are just a handful of things that we like to point to in terms of, you know, how we think we're different than some of our peers. You mentioned you work with a lot of ultra high net worth individuals and families, top executives and, and first generation wealth bidders. How does Crescent Grove Advisors meet the financial needs of this specialized client space? Yeah. So if you think about the client base for us is, let's call it roughly half public company executives and half private business owners um, in this ultra high net worth realm in particular. But that, that kind of flows through down to this portfolio advisory services business that I've referred to as well. What you, you, what I think you have to have is a lot of respect for your clients in this case, and, and in particular, a respect for them to be able to assess problems, to be strategic, you know, think strategically. So in terms of, you know, how are we delivering the service to them and how are we meeting their needs? Well, the ante is just that we have to know our stuff across all these different disciplines. We, we have to be, uh, you know, competent and sophisticated when it comes to understanding tax planning and estate planning. And again, all these, the interconnected relationship between all these different disciplines. But then, you know, I think we have to realize that these clients, you know, they're, they're our clients probably because they've been really successful in their own walks of life. So we kind of think of it as, you know, let's be the one that comes to them with a set of solutions, or first of all, let's identify issues or inefficiencies, and then let's come to them with a set of solutions. And then let's respect the fact that um, they're going to have thoughtful input in the process. So, you know, I, I think that's that's kind of the nature of how we're going to operate with, with these types of clients, where it's not just us saying, hey, we, we ran your financial plan, you know, we talked for an hour, and here's what it looks like, and you, you go execute on it, right? It's more a collaborative dialogue and ongoing journey where, you know, we're spotting issues up front. Again, we're proposing solutions, working with them to determine a path forward. We're then executing on that, but then we're repeating that process over and over again as the fact patterns change through the years. So I think it's, it's a, you know, it's a different way, I think, of coming at that as opposed to your traditional, just sort of set it and forget it. Or, you know, here's, again, here's the plan. You go figure it out. You work with the service providers. You know, we want to be the hub for all that activity for our clients. Talk to us a little bit about your core values and the experience you provide for your clients. Sure. So yeah, I mentioned it before, we're, we're kind of solutions oriented and client centric at the heart of what we do. And um, I don't know if it's, it, it, I think it's culture is, is part of it, uh, but I was going to say, I, I don't know if it's necessarily um, everyone in the firm is wired this way, but I think we're, we're kind of competitive in, in a sense. You know, we, we have a lot of people that just take a lot of pride in finding the right solution to a problem that's put in front of us. And the types of clients that we work with, often we get presented with unique uh, issues and problems that we have to solve. So I think there's just an element of the way that we're wired internally and the way that culturally uh, we, we kind of train people and bring them up, you know, up through the ranks at Crescent Grove, where it's just all about providing the right solution, you know, to the problem that's put in front of you. So I think that's really at the core uh, of what we do for clients. And then it's kind of this high touch concierge style experience as well, which I think is important to us that clients feel like they're really getting you know, a high level of service in addition to, again, what I mentioned before, kind of the ante of sophisticated planning uh, and, and advice and investment management and so on. How do you go about building an investment platform for such a diverse group of clients? Well, so for us, the diverse group of clients is really the key piece, right? So we've got a lot of different fact patterns that we're 
presented with, uh, meaning you know, we've got these clients that are, like I said before, public company executives, they might have uh, a substantial amount of stock in a single you know, concentrated position, right? Um, we've got to be able to provide solutions and investment platform that allows our advisors to thoughtfully and intelligently build around that position, let's say. Uh, you know, you get a private business owner that may have uh, an exposure via their business that's highly levered towards some segment of the economy. Well, again, you've got to have the right set of investment solutions, sort of the right toolkit that advisors can use to then build a portfolio that's complementary to that existing concentrated position. So for us, it's really about building a, you know, a holistic, uh, fulsome set of investment offerings, everything from public markets, kind of plain vanilla, you know, low cost index tracking uh, types of offerings, all the way through to more active oriented exposures or sector oriented exposures. And then even on into the investment or excuse me, the alternative investment realm, you know, how can we build out that segment of our platform in a way that's then complementary uh, to, to some of these other things that we talked about? You know, how, how can advisors use these to plug into allocations um, to bring down correlations, let's say, or, you know, to, to um, ultimately complement exposures that clients might already have in their portfolio, they might come to us with a, a portfolio that's full of unrealized gains. You know, they've got existing legacy positions. Um, that happens quite a bit. So how can we put together a platform then that, uh, you know, allows advisors, you know, the right tools to complement those existing positions or to take them into the portfolio and build around them thoughtfully. So for us, it's really just, it's putting together something that's that's fully comprehensive and really runs the gamut uh, from the most plain vanilla all the way through to the most uh, kind of intricate esoteric types of alternative strategies. You are experienced users of alternative investments in client portfolios. Talk about your approach to alternatives and how they fit into uh, a client's asset allocation. Sure. So for us, you know, it starts with this idea that alternative investments, uh, they need to do one of two things, broadly speaking. Uh, we want them to either be return enhancing. Uh, so in the case of something like maybe private equity, uh, can we extract an illiquidity premium by locking up our money, you know, by, by uh, committing to a fund, let's say for seven to 10 years, something along those lines, or risk mitigating? Uh, so can they augment you know, or sort of enhance the downside exposure of a portfolio, uh, provide some sort of exposure that's not correlated in many cases as well? So maybe sort of an absolute return hedge fund strategy is an example. You know, it's, it's got to achieve one of those two goals because oftentimes you're sacrificing liquidity in order to access these segments. Uh, but it goes back to this idea of you know, how it fits in the asset allocation. Well, if you're building around a concentrated position in a public equity, let's say, for a public company executive, you can then plug in some of these alternative investments alongside that, which provide a real non-correlated exposure in the sort of a holistic sense for the portfolio that smooths out the returns overall, right? So um, I, I think that's an important piece of what we do, an important differentiator. And that it also goes back to our size. You know, you think about the types of strategies we can look at within the alternative investment universe. You know, I'll give you one example. Uh, we're, uh, we've participated in a number of funds that focus on medical royalties. Uh, so think about you know, a, a biopharma company that's got a single product and they've got some revenue stream off that. It's FDA approved and they want to monetize that. And so you can pay a lump sum payment upfront and get a cash flow and kind of sort of create a yield um, as an investment structure, generally speaking. So just sort of a, a general example, right? So that's a segment that's a, it's a pretty fragmented universe. It's definitely a specialized universe. 
Uh, there are real barriers to entry, and it's sort of a, a you know, there's a structural inefficiency and a repeatable competitive advantage that a manager that knows that space well can exploit. But again, it's not big enough that you can really deploy dollars at a substantial scale um, to access that. So that that's something that we would look at and say, okay, if we can do the homework and, and get comfortable from a diligence perspective, not only with the sponsor, you know, who's running the strategy, but then the underlying fundamentals and kind of the, the macro environment surrounding that strategy, that's something then that we can offer to our clients that's highly differentiated relative to a lot of what they're going to see uh, and some of the, the bigger college platform type offerings. Uh, not only that, but it's highly, you know, it's, it's, it's non-correlated, right? It's, it's highly complementary in many cases to what they have in their portfolio already. So we want to take advantage of all those features and, and thoughtfully and you know, intelligently allocate to alternatives, uh, again, in sort of a complementary fashion. Yeah, that's interesting. What investment strategies are you steering clients towards now? And what methodology do you use to identify managers that offer them? Yeah, so I would go back to this idea of, you know, from a methodology perspective, we're really looking for when we go active, uh, meaning we, you know, we're willing to pay up in fees a little bit. We want a manager that's really differentiated in their approach, and we want a manager you know, from a diligence perspective. We're looking for managers that have a, a sustainable and repeatable process that they're going to give us a consistent exposure. It might not always work, especially in public markets, right? Sometimes strategies fall out of favor, but we want managers that are consistent in the way that they're delivering uh, their strategy on an ongoing basis. So it's a little more predictable in terms of how we're putting together a portfolio, the building blocks of of a portfolio from that perspective. So that really drives our diligence process. And again, finding these managers that are rigorous and and consistent with the way that they apply their process and their diligence, their investment strategy and portfolio construction. So that's kind of at the core of how we think about diligence and goes back to the platform construction concept. And then in terms of what we're looking at right now, you know, I, I think a lot of what we're solving for is cash flow needs for our clients in many cases, and in particular as they enter retirement. So for us, you know, the, the 2010s were really difficult. You know, you're in a zero interest rate environment, uh, even investment grade bonds, high yield bonds, are, they're not offering you a ton in the way of, of yield. Now you, you kind of look at where we sit today um, you know, you've got yields that are much more attractive, even within quality segments of the investment universe or the fixed income universe. So I think that's that's one area where we're looking to kind of rebuild and replenish that segment of a client portfolio where we might have gone into some of these alternative strategies or more yield focused, uh, you know, strategies within kind of the higher yield portion of the the fixed income universe. Let's say, well, now we can earn similar types of rates of returns in more quality fixed income strategies. You know, let's take advantage of that in this environment. And then I guess at the other end of the spectrum right now, I'd say we're taking a closer, harder look at private equity writ large. Um, so everything kind of venture capital, growth equity, buyout, secondaries, co-invest, you know, everything that kind of fits under that umbrella. Uh, we just think that, you know, as you enter this period here where there's some concern about a recession on the horizon, uh, you know, capital market activity, Gets disrupted because of a you know a banking crisis, something along those lines, right? You you get these periods where people start to pull back in terms of their their risk taking, um, you know, valuations potentially reset in the, the private markets. It's a process, needless to say. But if you think about starting to you know consider commitments to these types of strategies in this environment, historically these prove out to be the best vintages. You know, when there's a real risk aversion that comes to the fore in in the marketplace. 
that's where a, a really good sponsor, a good private equity manager uh, can navigate that environment and find a lot of opportunities. And if you think about they're investing that money over a two, three, four year period anyway, you can't be too precise with timing. So we don't want to try to get too cute with it. We just want to say, we think we're entering a period here where there's going to be some interesting opportunities on the horizon within private equity as things sort of reset. So th- those are kind of the ends, of the barbell, if you will, approach that we're looking at, the ends of the risk, risk spectrum uh, that appeal to us right now. What are the biggest challenges for investors in 2023 and how is Crescent Grove counseling clients? Well, if you just think about what's happened year to date, kind of the evolution of thinking amongst the investor community, you don't want to talk about challenges. Uh, it's been a roller coaster. It's, it was kind of this recession's right on the horizon. You know, We were starting from that place at the end of uh, 2022 and the beginning of the year. Then all of a sudden, the narrative flipped to, well, I think we could actually have a soft landing. You know, The Fed might find their way out of this uh, without too much pain for the economy, or we can manage through this process. And then all of a sudden, we have a banking crisis on our hands uh, with, with some very notable high-profile bank closures. Um, you got concerns about FDI insurance, et cetera. So I think the, the shifting narrative uh, and, and the rapidity of, of how, you know, how that's playing out over a couple days or weeks-long period, going from one extreme to the other, um, that's a, a huge challenge right now. And I think the, the level of unpredictability around what the Fed is doing with interest rate policy and how that ultimately flows through into the economy, you know, that I think is a, that broadly speaking, is a huge challenge for investors to figure out how to navigate that environment. So for us, really, it's, you know, it's, it's step back, it's stay focused on what we're trying to achieve within the context of an investment policy statement. You know, we put together a framework for investing a portfolio you know, relative to the goals and the risk we're willing to take to achieve those goals, you know, let's continue to focus on that. Let's have a little bit more of a longer term orientation in terms of how we uh, assess capital markets in general, because that just tends to be more predictable than trying to figure out what's going on day to day, month to month. Um, so I think that's that's the counsel. It, it sounds basic. It is sort of blocking and tackling, but I think it's invaluable advice for clients that might get caught up in more of the, the day-to-day headline-to-headline type of, of news flow that we're seeing in, in an environment that's as dynamic as the one we're in. Yeah, getting caught up in headlines is a big deal. So what's the biggest mistake you see investors making right now? Well, yeah, I get that would yeah, I think that that translates right into um, that issue that I just described, which is investors, I think right now that there's so much event risk around you think about any given. CPI, you know, inflation report, uh, any jobs data data that's coming out, you know, those days I feel like, you know, clients and, and investors broadly speaking get so fixated on the event risk of any one given day, and then it, it sort of translates into almost a trading mentality, which I think. Um, look, I just think that's I think generally speaking for the types of clients that we're working with in particular, that that's a mistake, right? You don't want to get so short-sighted that you get caught up in these fluctuations day to day and week to week. Now, granted, we might have some managers that take advantage of that opportunity and they've got a skill set and a repeatable process uh, that, that allows them to do that. But from a holistic capital allocation perspective, you know, asset allocation perspective. I think that would be a real mistake to try to, you know, to, to buy into that more short-sighted approach in this type of environment. And then maybe the other mistake that I would highlight, or I don't know if it'll be a mistake or a lot or not, but I would say that respecting the possibility that this is a real regime change in markets. Um, I think we as investors and humans in general, 
we tend to be pretty good at linear extrapolation. You know, whatever happened the last five or 10 years, we kind of expect that to happen the next five or 10 years kind of thing. And we have a hard time dealing with real step changes uh, or, or real dramatic regime changes, uh, whether it's in markets or, or other walks of life. So I think just respecting the fact that maybe, you know, as we look back over the last couple of decades where last decade's winners aren't necessarily going to be the same winners for this decade. Um, so kind of going back to a little bit more of a first principles approach of where do we see value? You know, where, where do we think we can earn a reasonable rate of return relative to the risk that we're taking? Um, you know, coming back at it with that approach as opposed to just defaulting to what worked in the past environment, uh, you know, given all the inflationary pressures, given what the Fed's doing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right? I, th- I think just being wary of uh, this idea that regime change may be upon us. Andrew, it sounds like your clients are in great hands. Thank you so much for joining us and best of luck moving forward. Thanks very much, Doug. Appreciate the opportunity. To learn more about Crescent Grove, please visit crescentgroveadvisors.com. Please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikeman. 